What's up and welcome to the Beyond Ball podcast here at the Influencer Headquarters. I'm Jim Caval and we're in Birmingham, Alabama today at our offices here and I am pumped up because we have a really awesome interview with a guy who has tons of wisdom and perspective when it comes to sports, college sports especially, and social media. His name is Cole Kublik. Cole played football at Auburn, was a center for the Tigers in the late 90s, and catapulted himself into the broadcasting world, first locally in Huntsville, Alabama, where he uh, calls home today uh, with his wife and now two children. But he has really grown his career onto the television as he works with the SEC Network. And, and now the ESPN big announcement has come out that Cole will be hosting primetime Saturday night in-studio show that SEC Network does. So congrats to him. And I got to tell you, this interview, we did it in his home up in the Huntsville, Alabama area. And we really could have went on for an hour. I mean, he is a wealth of knowledge when it comes to sports and social media. He's got a great take on the topic, and uh, he's really got a great understanding um, that spans over the last two decades from when he played. You'll hear him talk about stories of live chats going on in the late 90s when the internet was new, and he first heard about this whole internet thing and started to think about how a community could even be built online for college athletes. And he'll bring it all the way into the present, talking about the stories of A.J. McCarron and Johnny Manziel and the season where they battled each other and both grew their followings immensely on Twitter and what that made him start thinking. And of course, today, with the power we see young athletes have on social media, and he'll give you his take on a lot of the topics that revolve around that. So uh, I'm going to go right to it. Cole Kublik, the Beyond Ball podcast presented by Influencer. Uh, enjoy it. All right. So first and foremost, break down where you see traditional media going in respect to social media as far as eyeballs, advertising, all the things that are changing in that game. I think consumption is what we have to pay attention to. And I think I, I'm a perfect example of that. And I'm, I'm a big proponent of Twitter. And it's, it's, I do a, a morning sports talk radio show. And I like tweets that contain stories that I want to use within my show. I also like tweets that we want to read in the show. I have a segment called 10 After Tweets that we do 10 after every hour. Now, the percentage of tweets that contain a story with a link that I get to and actually read... It's probably 10 to 1 of reading the actual tweets, which is a lot less content, which is a quick opinion, a quick fact, something that I can get in and out of and give someone credit for tweeting it and then move on to something else as opposed to opening a story, reading it, maybe finding facts that I want, maybe finding information or opinion that I want, and then finding a way to spin that onto my show somehow that I want to talk about. So I think the big key in media is consumption. How are we consuming? We talk about cord cutting. We talk about journalism, newspapers, how some seem to be going away. Video content is totally different on a lot of different formats, be it Snapchat, Instagram Live, Instagram Stories, Facebook now has stories. So there's all these different ways to consume media. But I think our attention span is a big part of how and why and what we are consuming. I'm as guilty of it as anyone. I'm the biggest football nerd on the planet. And I find myself on Sundays sitting on this couch in here if I pick up my phone and I begin to rifle through some tweets and see what else is going on around the league, I'll look, and I'm a Steelers fan, die hard, and I'll look up and have missed an entire series. 
and a team's about to score, and they've driven 76 yards, and I'm thinking, I didn't see any of that. And I literally have to rewind the game, put my phone down, and watch it again. So it's definitely shifting. Sports are always going to be covered. Sports are always going to be written about, discussed, talked about, but our attention span in what we consume and how we consume it, I think are going to be critical moving forward. So traditionally, the content producer, whether it be a conference and its schools that produce the game that we see on the field, whether it be the talent in the form of the players that play in the game, um, they all needed a channel to distribute their content through. But more and more, we're seeing the content producer become their own channel. Right. We, we have a channel. And if you write for an entity and your job is to cover teams, cover athletes, and cover things that happen and break news, so to speak, inside that sport or around that sport. If I'm, if Cole Cubic Productions is paying you, but Jim Caval is sharing breaking news via his Twitter feed, how does that benefit Cole Cubic Productions? If you work for me, so it's it's. But Cole Cubic Productions also would want you to build your Twitter following because that makes you a bigger asset to us. So it's. It's a really fine line and a really crazy juggling act of what do we share now because that's what everyone wants. We have to have it immediately. And what do, do we save? Not only what do we save, but do we save anything for, I guess you would say, a traditional article or story that someone can consume later. And no one's getting, not many people are getting paid per tweet. I mean, my last name's not Kardashian, so no one's paying me to, file, to rifle off one tweet about something. And... When, when it's information that you've gathered while you're doing your work, are you devaluing the entity that pays you by sharing that through your social media sources? It's, I don't even really know all the answers to it, Jim, to be honest with you, but I do think that's a big part of how the game and media is changing. So with college sports, um, you have a situation where the student-athlete um, has a likeness that represents its institution. They're a brand ambassador. And the institution obviously cares about their brand. And so when a student athlete does get good enough to step on a field and start and play, they immediately have a following that's significant and it represents that institution. What do you think the opportunity is for universities to be a little more proactive in regard to managing and even teaching their student athletes how to be true brand ambassadors on social media. Yeah, there there are a lot of different ways to go with this and, and I'm I'm not gonna get into the entire discussion of should student athletes be paid, should they not be paid, because it's pretty simple. They are paid right now. And anyone who doesn't believe that, you need to check on scholarship check, you need to check on cost of attendance, and you need to Google Pell Grant. And you need to once you figure those out, come back to me and tell me that these guys are not basically making a living to be college football players. And one of the main reasons that I don't think college athletes should be paid is the platform that's provided. Maybe that platform is borrowed. Maybe it's loaned. Uh, maybe it's not a, a traditional barter, so to speak. But the platform that college athletes have gives them the capabilities to do things that regular students or other people who are not college athletes, the ability to do after school. That might be the NFL, and that might be Tom Brady. That might be Julius Peppers. That might be Eli Manning. Three of the top ten all-time highest-paid athletes in the NFL history. But that might be me pursuing my passion in sports media. And I get to call games and stand on the sideline and be an analyst. And I get to have a sports talk radio show. 
honestly, not because I studied really hard. A lot of it came because I was a college football player. Now, I got into this and I perfected my craft and I still try to do that every day, but the reason I was able to get the benefit of the doubt and get into the door is because I had that experience of being an Auburn football player. I was in medical sales out of school. I got a pharmaceutical job day one out of college, the first job that I interviewed for. I, I, didn't quali- I wasn't qualified for that job. The, guy, the company was hiring a thousand different reps and the guy who was hiring in Birmingham knew my name. Why? I played football at Auburn. Kubrick's not a hard name to remember. He gave me an interview. I blew him away. He said, I think you'll work hard. I like you. I know who you are. I trust that you're a hard worker because of what you did on the field. We're going to give you a shot. I had a pharmaceutical job. I, I, I never took chemistry. I never took biology in college. That wasn't my major. I took no medical courses at Auburn. Uh, I, I mean, I was, I was a communication major. So I knew how to get in that interview and talk and handle myself. But going back to your original question, to me, some of the big concerns of what schools could do, I will always be a proponent of insurance for life. I think the the health risks that these kids go through and the injuries that are sustained, not including the major injuries that happen, whether it be massage, chiropractic, whether it be mental rehabilitation that guys might need down the road, I think schools and conferences should cover all of that. And there obviously would have to be a process that you have to go through to get that money. But I think that there is an opportunity right in front of schools and the athletes of further education. And a lot of that has to do with post-football life. A lot of guys I played football with, Jim, didn't know how to balance a checkbook. They didn't know what a checking account was when they got to school. And that, that Pell Grant money or that scholarship check was the first time they had to go to a bank in their life. And we had a career day when I was at Auburn. And I remember we go inside Jordan-Hare Stadium and all the suites were lined up on one side of the stadium. And they put a different old man in every suite. And you had Yellow Fella in one suite. And you had Alabama Power Guy in one suite. And you had Car Dealer Guy in another suite. And you had Doctor and Orthopedic Surgeon and Pharmaceutical Rep and Farmer and all these different people. And it was a total snooze fest. We were sleepwalking through this deal. No one paid attention to anybody. And those guys had the best intentions in the world. And I'm appreciative now that they came back and at least gave their time and tried to help us with what we needed to do later in life. But the reality is the education process needs to be centered around what the college athletes want and what they can do with themselves later in life. Because if you can't go tell a kid or ask a kid, what do you want if you can't play football? If there's no football, how can we help you be a better person? And we hear all these coaches and all these ADs saying, come here because we're going to make you a blank man, and you're going to leave here a blank man, and we're going to make you a better human being for being here. Where's the education process to do that? School is one thing. School gives you a lot of great things. I learned a lot of good things by being a student at Auburn University. And by being a college student, I learned a lot of real-life lessons. But post-football, a lot of those real-life lessons you're not able to obtain because you're not able, you're dedicating 50, 60 hours a week to football. And I'm not saying I think these kids should be able to go out and get jobs in season, but it does take away from some of the lessons that you can learn pertaining to life after football. So why are we not finding ways to educate the players on how to better yourself? Utilize the platform that I discussed, that every college football player has. And some guys' platform may be much bigger than others, but they all have it. You all had the name on the back of your jersey. You all wore the helmet. And you all have an opportunity to take what you put into being a college football player and apply that to your life after. 
And that might be the NFL. That might be a college football or NFL analyst on television. It could be a lot of different things. But I think, Jim, I was fortunate enough to have family members. My uncle was a very successful medical sales rep. I had another uncle that was a CFO of Blue Cross Blue Shield for 32 states. I had examples in front of me that were successful, that made a lot of money, that did good things in life, that could take their families on vacations. I looked up to those people. And a lot of kids in school don't have that. So with the resources that are available, the people that are around, why are we not educating kids on how to monetize social media, how to be a person that can go out and make a living on your own, and what other avenues you can go out and make a living doing? There's some schools that individually try to do it with former players, and that's very difficult because 19, 20, 21-year-olds don't want to hear a 40-year-old dude come and telling them, this is how you're going to have to make a living the rest of your life. Well, on that note, um, universities also have to think about their brand. So you're talking about a lot about what's in it for the player, and there's a lot in it for the player, right? Mm -hmm. But for the university, for a player to represent him or herself the right way, especially with 10,000 or 100,000 followers on social media is really important. So how much could the university benefit from empowering their student-athletes to build a platform and leverage it later but also they can maybe use it to recruit them and get them to come to their school or to protect their brand so that they don't do dumb things on social media while they're at that yeah, school. I, think, I mean, let's think about the reality of, I don't know what percentage of, of high school athletes that are being recruited are on social media, but I would guess it's pretty damn close to 100. Uh, it's well over 90. And that's an assumption, but I would feel pretty safe assuming that. So if Coach A can come to you and he's recruiting against Coach B – and Coach A can lay out a program that says, we're taking your Twitter, your Instagram, your Snapchat, your Facebook, and we're going to help you set that up for how it can be valuable to you later in life. The, the athlete might not even know how that's going to happen or what can happen there. But for a coach to be able to sit down and say, this is the plan that we're putting in place for you after you're finished here. That goes further than, I'm going to get you to the NBA. I'm going to get you to the NFL. This is something that we're going to help you build, that we're going to take care of, that we're going to make strong. You can take with you after you're done here. You can do whatever you want with it. And so there's still a, a, a big part, too, there of, okay, if the school has responsibility, you want them to represent your school the way the school would want them represented. So you're not going to go off and act like a bozo and do whatever you want on social media when the school's behind it trying to help you build that following. And I think social media education is something that, is not take why are these kids not verified? Why are fake Twitter accounts tweeting things after championship games and legit media members are running with it? How do they not know that that this is not the kid that, that that's not running that account? It's it's asinine to think that that even happens. And so for me, I, I, I go back to I go back to the season of Manziel and McCarran. And I, I think about that was when I sat back and I said Wow, I've always believed in the power of the platform that these college football players have. And I've always known that taking your name and taking your experience and taking a championship ring or taking a jersey, whatever, on with you in life is going to have intrinsic value and help you later in life. But that, was the, that season was the first time I sat back and I said, these kids have a whole new weapon and it could be a weapon of mass destruction as far as the things it could allow you to do later in life. I mean that in a positive way. 
This, this is a whole new set of artillery that these kids are playing with here. When you looked at Manziel and McCarron going over six figures in Twitter followers in a season, and all of a sudden, this was something that I, I mean, I had conversations with multiple SID, sports information directors at different schools, about what are you saying to your kids about this? Are you, are you telling your kids that, do they really know how many people are following this? Do they know that the, the, the true reach of what their social media has there's no way that when I was 18, 19, 20 years old that I would really understand how many people were going to see the things that I was going to put out there and how cautious I probably needed to be with what I put out there. And then most importantly, how I could have utilized that to better myself after I was finished playing for that university. So there is a big time barter taking place between brands, colleges and athletes. They both need each other, and you might be on one end or the other of this one deserves more, this one deserves less. However you want to negotiate that in your own brain is fine. But the reality is they both need each other to survive and to flourish. And social media is a new weapon that can allow college football players, college basketball players, college athletes to flourish once their playing career while borrowing or bartering that brand is complete. I love it, man. That's really, really well said. I want you to tell um, real quick the uh, the Tiki story because I thought that was really neat. Because you know, Tiki said in the interview I played for you um, just now, he said, "I think this is the natural evolution of the internet." Yeah. And he makes this quote. And when you told that story, it's kind of crazy to think like 20 years ago almost he was playing with the internet. So just tell that story. Of yeah. Tiki. I mean, it's it's cool to to hear a guy like Tiki Barber talking about social media in this way and how the internet has helped us get here because I can remember being a freshman at Auburn in 1996 and I believe ESPN.com existed. I think that's where you went, but ESPN and college football through ESPN were behind it and they set up chats with college football players. So you had a college football player chat and we had a guy named Jim Rowe who played tackle for us. Really smart dude. I think he was in aerospace engineering, really smart guy. And Jim Rowe did one of these college football chats. Now, this is when we would walk down from Sewell Hall and go into the computer lab, and you would have like 10, 15 computers. You turned it on. It took like five minutes for the monitor to warm up and come on. And you pretty much checked your email, and if you needed to go cite a source for a paper or look something up online, uh, nothing to the extent of what you can do today, to help you with something in school, you could do that. And you might be able to look up weather or maybe a photo of something. Like if you wanted to know what what a 1986 Mustang looked like. You could probably find a picture of that. But the internet was in its infancy still. And I remember Tiki Barber doing one of those college football chats, and I'm thinking, man, that's pretty wild. Like, he understood that, number one, how to utilize that tool, that weapon, when he was in school, because that built his brand. If there was only three or four guys that could do it in all of college football, and you think about how advanced it was to people like me that didn't even know it was there, well, how many people across the country because he was one of only a few people that could do it, immediately knew who Tiki Barber was. Oh, that's the running back at Virginia. Might not have known that, except for now he's doing a college football chat on the internet. And Jim Rowe, we had a guy, a tackle for Auburn that did one. And I just remember thinking, how do those guys even know what that is to be able to, to go do it? And if I wanted to follow it, how do I even go? I wouldn't even know how to get there to go follow what they're doing. But it gives you an idea that, I mean, Tiki had a pretty good idea way back in 1996 of, probably didn't know it then, 
but where this was going. He was, he was intelligent enough to figure out, man, this might be a way to enhance my brand and allow people to figure out who I am before I move on to the next thing. As I said, he is a wealth of knowledge and his knowledge spans over really a couple decades. And I think that's the key when you listen to Cole is he's got context, perspective on really any topic in sports that he talks about. And if he doesn't, he'll tell you. And most of the time he really does because of the vast experience he's had over the past couple decades since playing at Auburn and now into his broadcasting career. You can follow him at Cole Kublik on Twitter, on Instagram. You also uh, can, can find him on Saturday nights on the SEC Network. Uh, this guy is going to be hosting the primetime show with Jordan Rogers, Tom Hart and company. Um, so you definitely need to check out the show on the SEC Network. Uh, and, and I want you to make sure you're following influencers as well, at INFLCR on Twitter. And follow me too, at Jim Caval, C-A-V-A-L-E. Uh, we want to interact with you on social media and continue to feed you with interviews like you heard today. Uh, the Beyond Ball blog can be found at inflcr.com. So go to influencer.com and uh, click on the Beyond Ball blog. You're going to find not only interviews like this in podcast form, but you're going to find a lot of blogs written out with videos of me talking with the subjects uh, that we're, we're interviewing on the topic of life after sports and all that comes with it. So definitely check out the Beyond Ball blog and tell your friends, tell people about what we're doing in Influencer. We are so excited to be working with some of the best and biggest college athletic programs in the country, helping them organize, equip, and develop themselves on social media along with their brand ambassadors. We help them organize all the channels of the recruits, their current student athletes, their former student athletes, so they can see the data and content being pushed out by those accounts. And then we help them equip those accounts with content and messaging that is congruent with the school's brand so that those accounts can grow and those individual people, those brand ambassadors can grow their personal brands. And then finally, we develop the school brand and the personal brands of the athletes with education, with interviews like you heard today from Cole Kublik and other interviews from subjects you've seen on the Beyond Ball blog. So organize, equip, develop. That's what we do with our software product and influencer. We're doing it with some of the biggest and most influential college athletic programs in the country. And, and we're excited about that. So once again, thanks for tuning in to uh, the Beyond Ball podcast. And I hope you'll get a chance to hear some of our stuff coming down the pipeline because we've got some exciting big time interviewees that we've uh, been able to connect with and get me in front of. And so more to come, stay tuned. For everybody here at Influencer, thanks for checking out this Beyond Ball podcast.